You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Amen. Please be seated and let's turn to God's Word. And we're back with the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5 on page 968. And we are at verse 6, which says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. As I say, it's great to uh, see the children here. If I asked you what was the best thing about being a child, I wonder what you would say. When you're an adult, you can think about that a bit. What's the best thing about being a child? Um, I think one of the best things about being a child is you don't have any bills to pay. That's a great one. You don't have to worry about that. You're not going to lie in bed tonight, are you? And think, how am I going to pay that bill tomorrow? And also, usually, you don't have timetables to keep, because that's your mum and dad that do that. Um, so, being a child, it's a, you know, it's a time for you to enjoy. Well, why am I saying that? Because um, I was thinking about this, and I, this particular verse, and I heard uh, a radio commentary from Al Mohler, which was referencing an article which I went and read from a woman called Erica Christakis who is what's called an early education expert, scary lady, Uh, teaches at Yale University. At least she did teach until she uh, got in trouble and got thrown out for saying things like this. She wrote an article in which she said, what's happening in our culture is that we are expecting adults to behave like children and children to behave like adults. And it's just such a fascinating article. She's talking about in America, but I think it's true here as well. She says, adults, she says, now act like children. They read children's books. They dress like college students. Dreadful, eh? While children have become overscheduled and hyper-pressured, their childhoods cut short. And she, in particular, was giving uh, reference to a situation in New York where to get into nursery school, you have to have a CV. And you have to say things like, I'm going to ballet lessons, or I'm doing piano, and this is like nursery school. So you've got to have this all, all ready. And he said, children are being placed under enormous pressure. Meanwhile, this lady argued that adults are reverting, many often, in many cases, reverting to childhood. Um, rather sadly, she lost her job because of precisely that happening. Because at Yale University, there were people, there were students who started complaining about Halloween because they felt that Halloween, there were costumes that either frightened people that weren't safe or were racist. And um, she wrote an open letter to all the students, which said, you need to grow up. And she got fired because they protested. They felt it was unsafe and so on, and that she was attacking them, and they couldn't cope because they're just wee kids. Uh, And that's what is sadly happening in our culture Now, how does all that fit in with this? Because one of the things I want to say, what's the difference between a child and an adult? Children, please don't take this wrongly, but a child is totally self-centered. You know, especially you're a tiny wee baby. Now, you know that I've become a granddad. Well, the wee babies that are born, what do they want? They want to be, when they're crying, they're not crying because of the state of the world or because they've seen something that they know that someone's upset. They've heard something. They're crying because they want to be fed. They're crying because um, they're dirty or something. Crying because they're tired. 
As you grow, and as you get older as a child, and as you grow as an adult, this should happen, we're supposed to recognize our place in the world. Sometimes a very small child, imagine, you know, does anyone want this? Me, 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 me. Now, when you're an adult, you go, oh no, not me, but you really mean me. You just, you're a hypocrite as an adult. Child's honest. But you, as an adult, you're supposed to learn not to put yourself forward all the time, to be first all the time. We, that's very difficult because we need to discover who we are. We need to keep growing. We need to keep maturing. I love what Hebrews 4 says. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. If we need to, if we, and we do need to find out who we are, then we need to come to God's word for God's word to reveal to us who we are. We need to discover the depths of our need, not so that we'd be paralyzed by that sense of need, but so that we would have this blessedness that is spoken of here. And I think the problem that's identified in the Beatitudes is the self and the answers that are given are the solution, if you like. And so this particular aspect, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, we're just going to briefly look at what that is and how that helps us grow and mature as uh, believers. Let me say, first of all, what it's not. It's not hungering and thirsting after happiness, only I could get happiness. If you go looking for happiness, you will almost inevitably miss it. One man writes this, according to the scriptures, happiness is never something that should be sought directly. It's always something that results from seeking something else. Maybe another way of putting this is, think of a doctor and pain. A bad doctor, you go to a doctor and you're in pain, the bad doctor will just say, okay, I'm going to relieve your pain. But the good doctor will want to know, what's the cause? Why are you in pain? Let's just not try and get rid of the pain. Let's find out what is causing it. Because pain can be a good thing because it's the body's warning system that something is wrong. And in this sense, when we're talking about hungering and thirsting after righteousness, it is important for us to recognize that maybe sometimes we don't feel so good and we're not so happy, but there'll be good reasons for it. And we need to look and we need to ask and we need to come to God's word. Secondly, it's not hungering and thirsting after experiences. There are plenty experience seekers in the Christian church and experiences are great, but we don't want to be like thrill seekers at the theme park going for the latest sensation. There's too much of that in the Christian church. Also, it doesn't mean that we're hungering and thirsting after our own righteousness and our own effort. In other words, that we're trying to be as good as we possibly can be. That we're going to be really, really, really holy. Because that will never, ever work. So what is it? What is Jesus speaking about? If it's not happiness, if it's not experiences, if it's not our own righteousness... Let me explain it in this way. Hunger and thirst are a basic physical need. Now, all of us know that. 
That's, you've, you're, you're born, first thing. You're hungry, you're thirsty. We're like that all the time. In this culture that Jesus was speaking in, in Palestine, water was often scarce and so was food at times. And so many of the people he was speaking to would know exactly what that means. It is, in one sense, an intensity of desire. It's a deep consciousness of our own need. It hurts. It increases. It's something that makes you think about it all the time. I don't know if any of you have ever fasted. Um, Fasting's a nightmare. I've done it. I've tried it. The trouble is, fasting, you're supposed to... I was told about fasting was it makes you more spiritual and it makes you think about God. For me, it made me think about food. And, and, And you have to get through that stage, but it takes a long time to get through that stage. But it's a good thing to do, fasting. But when you are really hungry, you do think about food all the time or when you are really thirsty. J.N. Darby puts it beautifully in this way. He says, when the prodigal son was hungry, he went to the husks. But when he was starving, he went to the father. Again, um, not just children, but I would also suggest husbands do this quite often. Go out of church on a Sunday night and go, oh, I'm starving. Let's go. No, you're not starving. You are slightly hungry because you haven't eaten for an hour and a half. But you're not starving. You can, you know, you can survive. Good while. You don't need to have something to eat. But the way that our cultures, by the way, you, you'll notice that how we're constantly supposed to be eating all the time. At least that's how I feel. Um, and, but we're not starving. And in some ways... My mother used to give me a row about that because I used to go home and say, oh, mom, I'm starving. When's tea? Oh, it's in an hour. Oh, that's no use. I need a banana sandwich now. And she would say, you can have a banana sandwich, but don't ever say you're starving because there's children who are starving. And I used to go, oh, yeah, give them the food and so on. And, but she was right. And it was a good lesson to teach me. And it's a good lesson to learn. If you've ever experienced intense hunger or intense thirst, you know what it is. So hunger and thirst here after righteousness is a longing and a desire to be right with God, to be free from the power of sin, to be free from our selfishness. It's a longing and desire to be positively holy, to show the fruit of the Spirit, to walk in the light, to be like Christ, to be kind and compassionate and sensitive. And that's where most of us as Christians, I think... If we stop, and if we're honest, and if we back off, we say, wait a minute, that's a long time since I felt that. Because we would all say, it would be good to be kind, and it would be good to be filled with the Spirit, and it would be good to have the fruit of the Spirit, and it would be good to be free from sin, now let me just get on with my life. We don't hunger and thirst for it. We're not longing for it. We recognize it as good, we recognize it as desirable, but it's not something which is a passion for us. And that is why this beatitude, in one sense, is so difficult. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is this righteousness, by the way? Let me just say something about that. It's a major theme in the Sermon on the Mount. You can go over, for example, uh, to chapter 6, verse 33. We sang it this morning. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. 
Chapter 6, verse 1, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness. And what does righteousness mean? It means conformity to a norm. It means that things are where they ought to be and are what they ought to be. Sometimes you can get a feeling, wait a minute, something's not right. Something's not good here. Something's not working here. Something's wrong here. And that gives us an idea of righteousness because righteousness or unrighteousness is when something is not right in our relationship with God, in our relationship with his world. In the Old Testament, it's associated with the covenant. God does what is right. God does what he's supposed to do. God always keeps his promises. But for us, we find ourselves in a situation where things are not just what they should be. So let me give you the three things I think it means for us. First of all, we long for a right relationship with God, something which can only be provided by Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, says Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a wonderful theological term called imputation. And what it means is that God imputes to us, gives to us the rightness of Christ, the rightness of the relationship of the Father and Son, the beauty of Jesus Christ. He gives it to us. He imputes it to us as though it were ours. All of us have become like one who is unclean, says Psalm 49, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. Or Job, the great question in Job 9, indeed I know that this is true, but how can a mortal be righteous before God? And the New Testament gives us an answer from the Old Testament from Genesis 15 verse 6, which is quoted by Paul in both Romans and Galatians, where it says this, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, here's a wonderful thing. Righteousness for us is not going out and doing lots of right things. Righteousness for us is believing what God has said and God giving to us the righteousness of his son, Jesus, which it's not a theological term, but it's a good term. That's mega righteousness. There's nothing can stand against that. Righteousness also means that we live rightly before him in the world. And by the way, that's, that's a longing that people need to have. I've known people who've said, I'm really concerned that I'm not a Christian. I'd like to become a Christian. And they think it's like some kind of formula. And I've always thought that people who do that are in trouble unless they have within themselves a sense of this is not right. There is something that's really wrong. I really want to be right with God. I really long to be right with God. Someone like that is blessed because you know that God is already at work in their life. But the second way righteousness is used is to live rightly before God in the world. There's no cheap grace. Jesus is not a savior who leaves us where we are instead of saving us from sin. And so there's another theological word. Imputation is where Christ, God attributes Christ's righteousness, Christ's goodness to us. But impartation 
is a different one. And what that means is that we long to please God, that God imparts to us, gives us his Holy Spirit and gives us his desire, and we long to do what is pleasing to God. Psalm 42, we're going to sing a paraphrase or part of that anyway at the end. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? When you are in love with somebody, or maybe when there's somebody who just you really like, they're a really good friend, or you haven't seen your mom for a long, long time, and you just have this longing to see them, longing to be with them. That's what is spoken of here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because what we're saying is, Lord, we want to be in your presence, but we can't be in your presence because, to be honest, we, we're so messed up, we're so selfish, we're so self-absorbed. We, we live our lives by confusing or being hypocrites or you know, not facing up to things. And every time we come into your presence, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. We can't pretend with you. We can't fake with you. We can't manipulate you. So how can we come into your presence? And there's a longing that we want to be with God. We want to be with Jesus, but we know how difficult it's going to be. And that's what I think this longing is, longing to to be with God. And it's a longing also for righteousness everywhere, desiring to see right relationships in the lives of others, desiring to see God's will be done on earth. You're pained and anguished by the evil and the horror and the wars and the stupidity and the sickness in the world and in our society, and you long to see righteousness and goodness. I heard a man say this week that he thought all desire for goodness was just a mistake. It was an evolutionary throwback. It was, it was just weird. But what a sad life, not to long for goodness. So what's the result? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They will be given what they desire. And the word that's used here indicates that it's something that's immediate. So for example, I think if someone longs to be forgiven by Christ and comes in repentance, Christ doesn't muck around, he forgives. Some people say, it's too easy. Oh, don't you want me to do something? No, God doesn't want you to do anything because you can't do anything to add to your own salvation. He asks you to believe what he has done. But for other people, it's too difficult because they, they realize that the demands and the standards of following Christ are just so high and they say they couldn't do it. But if you long for it, if you long to follow Jesus, it is possible. It's something that's continuing as well. We're delivered from the power and the pollution of sin. But we're still always battling. But it's this strange paradox that the more we're filled, the more we hunger and thirst. Because there's grace uh, upon grace. It's not like with normal food. Well, normal food. You eat, you're filled, you sit back, you relax, that's fine. 
Maybe it is actually like normal food because that feeling soon goes away and you want to eat again. Healthy spiritual eating is the kind of thing that happens when you're coming to God, having been filled with the Spirit, having been made aware of His presence, and yet always, always wanting to know more and to share more in Him. I think some of us as Christians, we struggle because we remember the time when we behaved in a particular way or when we had that experience or when we felt so close to God and that time has gone. And I think that what happens sometimes happens with people who are very ill or people, there are people who fasted in this way. I must admit, I've never had this experience personally fasting where they get to a point where they no longer feel hungry at all. But there, that does happen. And I think sometimes there are those of us who are Christians that we've just lost our spiritual appetite. And that is not a good place to be in. It is much better to be hungry and to be thirsting for God. So I'll finish just by saying, how do we develop this? How blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? A couple of things. One, avoid the bad and the harmful. Avoid the things that dull your spiritual appetite. In other words, if you keep eating junk food between meals, you're never going to enjoy the meals. So if you feed your soul spiritual junk, if you feed your mind garbage, and you're not feeding on God's word, you're not sharing in fellowship with his people, you're not praying together, then of course your appetite is going to be dulled because you're the edge has been taken off it by rubbish. Secondly, discipline. Most of us, when it comes to eating or drinking, we have to discipline ourselves not to do so. But actually, we have to discipline ourselves to do so properly. And we need to discipline ourselves in terms of righteousness. When do we find the time? When do we find the time to read God's word? When do we find the time to pray? It's really strange that we live in a culture where we've got all these time-saving devices, and yet at the same time, we've got these, all these devices that constantly check our times. There was a, I saw a program, I just thought it was amazing, about the fastest Burger King in America who prided themselves that they could feed people in 27 seconds, and they wanted to get it below 25 because people didn't have time to hang around. That is really sad. I'm sorry. I actually, I'll have to confess this. I quite like going to McDonald's for a wee McDonald's breakfast. But I like going in and sitting with my laptop and spending a couple hours, uh, you know, in McDonald's. I mean, that's high living for you. But it's, you, you discipline yourself. We're constantly rushing. We're constantly, we haven't got time for anything. We certainly don't have time for God. So there isn't a, a law that we can give you that says you should be doing this in the morning or should be doing this at lunchtime or should be doing it in the evening. You need to make time. It's just as we have to make time for those whom we love because we're in such a rushed and hurried environment. We need to make time for ourselves and all that kind of stuff. We need to make time for God's word, for God's people. And dare I say this, I was talking with Chris about strengths and weaknesses in the congregation. And you know, we, we love this congregation, absolutely. I and uh, one other person 
independently both said we thought the biggest weakness was in collective prayer. And you know why? I don't think the reason is that most people don't have a desire. It's just we don't have time. But we need to make time. And I, I, myself, I'm as guilty as anybody else in that one. We need discipline ourselves. And then the other thing, just simply, is this. Put yourselves in the way. We're told about blind Bartimaeus, that he put himself in the way of Jesus. And that's one of the great things about you being here this evening and coming to worship on a Sunday morning. You might feel terrible. You might think, I can't be bothered. You've got 101 other things to do. You don't have time. You're a bit depressed. You're a bit discouraged. You feel sinful. And all the other different things. Something good on the telly. There's whatever. And yet, we come. Why? I don't think for most people it's just a sense of duty though that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think for many of us, it's simply this, that we want the Lord to bless. We know he doesn't have to bless, and we know he doesn't have to be with a group of his people, but we know that it often is to be in the Spirit on the Lord's day, to be with the Lord's people on the Lord's day. I don't know how many times I've come to church, even when I'm preaching, thinking, what's going to happen tonight? I I don't know. And then I go away thinking, oh, I'm so glad I was there. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think without this righteousness, we die. I think with it, we are really living, holy, clean, pure, and forgiven. It's like two glasses of water. One, pure, clean water. And another, taken out of the sewer. Which one are you going to drink? You're going to drink one of them. Your mind is going to be filled. Your heart is going to be filled with one of them. We ask. We plead with the Lord to give us what is right. To give us what is good. To give us what is pure. To give us what is holy. To cleanse us from what is rotten. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. May God grant this. I'd like to... um, do this, I think probably if I can from, from now on, if I remember. I, I realize I was told, and I thought this was actually a very good suggestion, that um, often we look at God's word, and then we immediately, when we sing, and then we immediately go into a whole lot of other things. And sometimes people say, I just want to be quiet for a wee while. So I'd like us just to take a minute to be silent as the band come up and get themselves ready. Just take a minute to be silent before we sing and, and have the benediction, and to reflect a little bit on what God uh, has been saying. Just yourselves. I'm not going to pray, but um, just, just take a minute. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.